0: Welcome to episode number 30 of Slaying with Santa Rob. I know I say this every week. I always say this is going to be the best. Well, this is going to be one of the best. This is somebody that I've been listening to for a lot of years, just like all you guys have. And I'm super stoked to invite the voice of Guardian, the voice of Calamity Kills, the voice of London Calling, the voice of Adrian Gale, Welcome to the sleigh, Jamie Rowe. We're on the phone with the one and only Jamie Rowe. Jamie, can you hear me? I can.
1: Actually, you know what? Hold on. Let me change something in my settings because you're coming through my laptop speakers, but I've got headphones on. So let me Uh fix that real quick, brother. Cool. We're going to make it happen. Actually, you know what? I can't. With the way this okay. is set up, sorry. So we're gonna roll. We're <laughs> gonna roll. How What's you doing? Up, tonight? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I got you. Okay, we're
0: good now. Good, What's good, up, my brother? You know, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, uh Oh. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I haven't, I haven't actually seen you, in, wow, it's been, it's been a few years.
1: I think probably the last time I saw you that I remember was uh, backstage at a um, Israel Houghton Chris Tomlin concert. Like years ago.
0: I don't think I've ever been to a Chris Tomlin concert. You had me confused with someone else. I'm oh, really?
1: Sorry. Okay. Nope. Thought, are you sure? Yeah, yep. Indianapolis?
0: Nope. Okay. The, the last time last, last time I saw you in Indianapolis was all the way back on Bottle Rocket uh-huh. at, the, at the Church of Acts. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's the last time here. And there's probably another one in between there somewhere, but all the concerts run together.
1: Uh huh. I got you. <laughs> they do. They,
0: they, they do. But I, I've had some iconic voices on on the podcast. Gotcha. And, and there's a handful of people that you got to have. You got to have Schlitt. Mm hmm. You know. You got to have John Elefante. Yes. You got to have Dale from from Bride. Okay. But Jamie was missing. No. Oh. <laughs> there, there's a lot of guys that grew up with you. No, I feel you. There's a lot of guys that grew up with you, and Guardian meant a whole lot to a whole lot of people.
1: Yeah, and to me too. So you know, I mean, it was it was definitely a two way street, man. I mean, it's you know, it's like we we loved our fans, man. We we absolutely, you know, what you saw was what you got. We just, you know, the whole '90s was just amazing for us, you know. Yeah, you know, one of the one of my
0: favorite memories is is uh, my buddy Ron Brown and I were at Spirit Song in uh, Kings Island. Uh huh. And you guys performed the first day. Yeah. Uh, the two days and you and Tony and Carl treated Ron and I like Kings. Oh really? Yeah. You, you, you hung out, you took pictures, you were corn balls. <laughs> I, I, I got to watch Carl have a meltdown over merchandise. It was a lot of fun. Oh, I got you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just, that doesn't surprise me. And stuff like, you know, Carl's Carl, Carl, there was a, that was a really kind of creative uh, thing with guardian and stuff. Like Tony and I tend to lean more on the creative side. And Dave and Carl were leaning toward the business side, so it actually worked out really great. But so it doesn't that doesn't uh, trip me out at all that Carl will be haggling with the merchandise people.
0: So. Well, it, it it was fun. You know, Kings Island wanted their cut, and you know it was it was I was happy to be there and be a witness.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. These these days, some of the venues take up upwards of forty to fifty percent of the merchandise sales. Yeah, it's pretty crazy,
0: and, and it's and it's hard enough for bands to make a living the way things are today because well,
1: and it's not the same no no it's not it's not the same at all and everything and like and it's kind of it's it's kind of sad in some ways but at the same time it's like okay okay so what's next you know i mean it's like i mean i always think you know things things always change and people forget this you know the the invention of the kick drum pedal the bass drum pedal put a drummer out of work man yeah until you know i mean so it's just like there's certain things that just evolve and you have to adapt and find the find find the path ahead but yeah, things are definitely different. Uh, even now, you know, working with Calamity kills and making this project is that things are definitely different than they were, you know, 20 years ago by far. Well, I mean, could, could you even
0: imagine back in the early days of guardian that we're, we're selling
1: CDs and albums were the big thing that, that downloads would take over? No, not at all. Not at all. I can, I can, I, I still kind of get bummed a little bit that by about a 10 year window uh, you, you we missed the iPhone technology because, you know, I, I love to document everything and just as much like world travel and stuff as you did, it would have been really cool to be able to share that with people. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, dude, well, it's a different, it's a different world, man.
0: It's a different world, but let's, let's give people who don't know a whole lot about you a little introduction to how did you get involved with Guardian back in the day?
1: Man, um, it was kind of, I'll give you a, sh- a really short version of a long story, but, basically you know i was a huge striper fan and i loved all this stuff that was coming out of Cal- southern california you know with sanctuary church like baron cross and there was a band called guardian g-a-r that had these little space outfits them you know deliverance vengeance rising bands like that, yeah. that i would really get into and uh i had my first band and we'd done an interview with this guy uh named jeffrey mccormick who had a fanzine called the pin dragon and I remember talking to him like during an interview and stuff. And after the interview was done, he's like, Yeah, he goes, I just interviewed Guardian uh, this week. I said, Oh, really? I said, I've been hearing about them. Oz Fox is producing a record. He goes, Yeah. And he goes, And this album, he goes, Yeah. He goes, You know, you probably like them. He goes, Let me, let me give you their number. And so he gave me Tony Palacios and David Box phone number, which is kind of strange. You know, I was like a 19 year old kid. Right. Yeah, and so, but then I, I on the, on, you know, I had some Guardian stuff and I, I called, uh, I called Tony, just cold called him out of the blue. And, and it was kind of, kind of you know, I was a 19-year-old kid living in, you know, Indiana. And I thought that, you know, that since they were working with Stryber and they were signed Enigma, they were like these rock star guys. And I literally said, you know, hey, hey, man, uh, please don't hang up. I'm just a fan. I just wanted to talk. And he's like, what are you talking about? You know, don't hang up. Huh. It was really, really wild. So let me get to the point then. So we, he and I become friends through the phone and everything. And yeah. he sent me some recordings some rehearsal stuff of Guardian things like that. And we actually talked about him producing uh, a, a record for my first band and it never worked out. But then um, in winter of 1987 um, my, my father passed away. My dad passed away. He had a, mm-hmm. a heart attack and stuff. He was older. He had some health issues, but he, he basically passed away like two two days before Christmas. And he, Tony outside of my household, Tony was the first or the only person that spoke with him because he called the night before uh, to call me back and uh, everything. And he left a message with my dad. And this is, you know, in 1987. So, you know, there's no voice memos or anything. But um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I then my dad passed away the next morning. And it took it really hard because I was with him and stuff. It was really difficult, and I didn't have any friends or anybody that had lost a parent. I didn't, I was really flying solo. I just didn't. I was really numb. Just didn't know what, what was going on and everything. Sure. And then Tony finally, like a week later, calls back. because, you know, he he said he goes, dude. Usually, when I'd call you to like call me like right back. I, go, I haven't heard from you. Is everything okay? And I said, dude, my dad died. And all of a sudden, we went from talking about music and everything like that. That Tony was telling me, you know, his experience with his mom dying when he was twelve. So all of a sudden, this guy who was you know, kind of a, a musical like hero at the time to a young teenager, Tony's 10 years older than me, so there's a 10-year gap. He's got 10 years of wisdom on me. But okay. he actually, um, during that time, became way more of a friend to me than like a a musical you know somebody i aspired to play with musically or anything like that so we became friends and he checked on me he wrote me letters and stuff like that you know just like hey man you know this was my experience you know he just let me talk you know and like i said none of my friends in my circle had lost a parent they didn't they didn't have that experience tony did so we got to be buds and then i remember uh i was living in allentown pennsylvania with pure metal records, the label that the first man was signed to, I was staying in a townhouse that they owned, and the guys in white cross came through town. They were and they crashed there one night on the way to a gig. And I remember them telling me and said, you know, Hey, cause I'd heard the guardian broke up. He goes, no man, guardian, guardian broke up. They're looking for a singer. I said, really? And so, and I'd lost connection with Tony for about a year. Okay. So I, I got his number again and called him and stuff and said, Hey man, I hear you're looking for a singer. And he's like, yeah, he goes, I like the audition. He goes, that's okay. We don't, I know what you sound like. He didn't even he didn't want to tell me he he didn't like my first band at all. At all. And uh, so he just was assuming this is a bad idea. He said, We're kind of looking for somebody like a bluesy, like a David Coverdale thing. I said, dude, I can totally do that. It's totally me. And he goes, All right. And just to get him off, get me off his case, he said, Why don't you go uh, just go to the studio, set up a microphone, and just sing and just send that to us? I said, Okay. And he said that that's what they were asking everybody to do, and like hardly anybody would do that, like sing without music or anything like it. What? And I was just dumbing up to think, okay, I did it. <laughs> I did. I set up a microphone. I I still remember it. I went like stuff like Oh yeah yeah, like you know, stuff like that. The, the <laughs> thing. And I overnighted it to him, and then I I call you know every day to make sure he's picking it up and everything like that. And he's just so convinced it's going to be terrible. He goes for like a week and doesn't go pick it up and finally his wife Brenda said you need to go pick that thing up he's called every day and FedEx says if you don't come it tomorrow they're going to return to sender and so he was so convinced it was going to be bad and waste of time and he had to hurt my feelings tell me that it was terrible that he didn't want to pick it up he dragged his feet so anyway he popped it in and he said literally he was driving down the road to LA down to Packingham Studios and had to pull off the road like oh my gosh this is our guy sound and so that's 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 the story. How and then I I flew out for an audition. We auditioned for like a week, and we wrote we wrote "Power of Love," and, yeah. and "The Rain" like right on the spot. You know what wow. I mean? So even if I hadn't joined the band, I would have gotten writing credit on those two songs. But uh, and then I went home for like a month, and then uh, got surrounded. Cornerstone Festival of 1990. I remember uh, during that time it was that weekend because it was Fourth of July or Fifth of July. I to L.A. from Chicago and officially joined Guardian. I think it was July, July fifth, nineteen ninety. Wow. Okay, so that's a whole lot of information, Rob. I'm sorry if you have to edit stuff out, but that, that's, I, I, that's nothing. Story. Nothing's going to get edited. This, this is okay. all
0: raw, raw and awesome. Right on. <laughs> I right Appreciate that because it's, it's it's what people want to hear. Yeah. And, well, and yeah, go ahead. this is the fun part. So you said he he was on the way to pachyderm. Uh, yeah. So.
1: Elefantes were already involved. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even from even from early on and stuff, like when I first talked to Tony and stuff, because I, I said, I know you're not on Enigma. He goes, he goes, Yeah, we're off Enigma. He goes, We actually signed with a Christian label. But he goes, and and originally for the for the first like six months that the Fire and Love record was actually completed, AM Records was going to put it out on the mainstream side. And okay. so it was going to be one of those AM things. And when he said he goes, I guess I think AM is gonna put it. I said, Oh, dude, you're on Pachyderm. And since I'm a little, you know, a little nerd that finds out these stuff, he goes, "How'd you know?" I was like, "I just guessed because I remember X Center had just put out a record and yeah. through A and M as well." So anyway, we ended up coming, you ended up coming out through Epic, through Sony, but uh, yeah, that was I remember that part, <laughs> and just you know, like, because I was sitting there thinking like, you know, just the Elefantes were just, you know, anyway. So so they 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 knew Dave and Tony, and and Carl, and basically signed the band without a singer, just knowing we're going to, we're going to do this and it's going to get done. We're going to find the right singer. And so, and evidently they did. So that's insane. I'm here talking to you about it. So that that's, that's absolutely insane. This is, this is cool
0: history, people. Yeah, you need yeah. to be taking notes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I, was, I, was, I was 20 years old, man. So it's, it was like really cool for me. You know I mean? And that, that doesn't seem all that long ago, but gosh, dude, what it just, uh, for me, just like I said, just, you know, joining a band, I already liked and admired, um, you know, and living in Los Angeles, where I always wanted to live, just being a part of that whole Hollywood rock and roll scene, it was pretty cool, man. It really was. Now, was there a song?
0: Is once again, it's all jumbled. Didn't Guardian actually make it on MTV?
1: Oh yeah, no. We we actually um, for the power of a uh, fire and love record, we did a video. A, actually, a, a fairly inexpensive video, like ten thousand dollars at the time, which was like you know ridiculously cheap for music videos then. Uh, we'd made a performance clip in Compton, California for the Power of Love video. And because of our relationship with Epic with Sony and stuff like that, they got on MTV and it played like gosh 4 or 5 times. And you know, you reach a whole lot of people during that time. So all of a sudden like overnight we had a whole whole new like fan base of people, you know, in, in the summer of 91. You know, so yeah, we got that. And we also even later in in the Bottle Rocket years in latin america like the bottle rocket video was played on mtv like alternative nation in latin america so we even got some later action and which was always cool for me because even though i was a christian and i wanted to be in a quote-unquote christian band with Guardian, everything i get i always had a heart for just being in the mainstream too because it's like kind of you know i was just kind of like i don't even back then i didn't want to necessarily just play for people who agreed with me you know what i mean right and uh we can talk about this later, but I had a, you know, a big revelation around 2000 and stuff and kind of even more so just, you know, wanting to be a Christian and just playing for people rather than necessarily playing strictly for Christian music fans. You know what I mean? Right. So that's a whole new right. story. So,
0: and, and, that, and that's, and that's cool. That's why there's probably going to be more than one
1: podcast with you. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> there's, a, there,
0: there's a lot of story here with you. Yeah. So, so so jumping around, I mean, off to off to
1: Miracle Mile. That one kind of set Guardian on fire, didn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and the best thing that happened during that time was something we never planned. Obviously, if you've seen the the footage and stuff like that, you know, Tony Palacios, our guitar player, who's just a phenomenal guitar player. He's like outside of the band and stuff. He's just he's just a, he's a guitar player, guitar player. And uh, Michael Luby Smith had hired him to play guitar on the Change Your World tour which was in arenas, you know what I mean? So he was playing for, you know, 10 to 14, 15,000 people every night with DC talk opening for three months before the Miracle Mile record came out. So he's out there doing that. The rest of us are relocating to Nashville. And so every night, you know, Tony just stuck out like a sore thumb on that stage because he had long hair. He was clearly a rock guy and people loved him. And so then three months later, after the tour is like winding down, all of a sudden Miracle Mile comes out and then like all the, the bookstores, the Christian bookstores at the time had these like in-store displays and people recognized Tony. Oh. And so it really, really helped interest in the band and stuff. But that yeah. whole time was wild because we, we heard reports from our our Word Records rep and stuff that people were coming in and buying like 10 copies of Miracle Mile at a time just to give to their friends. Holy cow. So it was it was really wild. We, we had a really like really sharp season of success there in, in 93 there with that record so it kind of that was a kind of a really defining turning point for us that's how, how much of that sound w- was up uh, was you guys and how much of that sound was the elefantes well you know the elefantes have a, a great you know style of production but it, it, i'd say the sound was definitely guardian i mean that that's you know that but i can tell you this man if you think I'm a good singer, it's it has a lot to do with working with John LaFonte because he really, really, you know, I I sang and I would sing the songs, but he really challenged me and pulled things out of my voice that I didn't think I was capable of. Okay. and Everything like that. He would he would get me sometimes like when my voice was like to me, where I'd want to quit. Like my voice felt raw and everything. He goes, he goes, dude, I know it hurts, but I'm telling you, you sound really good in this space like right now. Let's keep going. You know what I mean? So but he actually he taught me how to scat, like in between songs, like lines like, oh yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. All that, those little subtle things that people do. That's basically okay. from John. John Elefante made me a better singer, hands down. So um, I will definitely say that that as far as the Guardian sound and vocally and stuff, John had a lot to speak into it. But I mean, but we we wrote all our songs and stuff. I like got John would some come, sometimes come in with like an arrangement idea, but we, we were a self-contained band.
0: Okay. You know? Because there was such a difference between Miracle Mile, the swing, swing, swung to buzz.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and obviously Bottle Rocker was a whole another flavor. Well, all, with all that stuff too, and stuff. You know, the the culture of music in general was changing, and you know, what I mean, so it's kind of like like a record like Miracle Mile uh, in '93 when it came out was like extremely like almost unhip three years later. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and we survived that time by adapting. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, all of us in the band, we're all, we're all music fans and stuff. We're not necessarily genre fans. So it's like when when music shifted, we kind of shifted along with it. And, um, and I, you know, i would lost, I'd had some vocal issues right before we did the swing, swing, swung record. And like for three months, I I couldn't sing. I actually thought for a while there, I was like, okay, I guess, I guess my singing career is over. I had some food allergies that were like jacking up my throat and picked up some bad habits and I had to fix them. And uh, the good news is, I went to Vanderbilt Voice Center, and they were able to identify it, and I was able to fix it. But during that time, you know, I how I as a how I write songs as a singer is usually you know the vocal melody, and then I you know work on the chords and stuff underneath it. Well, if I couldn't sing, I couldn't really write. So we made that swing, swing, swing record, and I only contributed one song to that record. And then I got to a point where I was like, man, I don't ever want to be in this position again, and stuff like that. He goes, "I, I I really want to start like if I'm going to go to records, I'm going to sing. I want to make sure I have something to do with the music and I write everything I get. So I went and got a four track machine and I fully dove into writing and stuff. And so for buzz and bottle rocket, actually, if you look at the percentage thing, I actually became the main music writer on those records. Yeah. So the good news is I was young enough or I, you know, a, a modern rock influence wasn't foreign to me, right. but at the same time, we still had the musicianship and everything, the quality of level that, you know, it just, it, it still sounded like Guardian, you know what I mean? Right. But there are some people, like, I, I still think to this day, I think Bottle Rocket is a good record. I don't necessarily think it's a good Guardian record, if that makes sense. Yeah, but it uh, does. But I think it's a good record and stuff like that, but we changed so much. It just, it, if you listen to Fire and Love and Miracle and then go listen to that, it just sounds like, whoa, what happened here? You know what I mean? Well, a lot of things happened, you know? But it gave us about five years of extra, like, Fairly high profile life than than our peers got because we adjusted. You know what I mean. I, I'm I'm personally
0: partial to Bottle Rocket. I think mainly because that was the first time I ever got to see you guys.
1: Gotcha. Mm-hmm.
0: So the, the only thing that was wrong with that tour is David was gone already.
1: Yeah, and you know, and that was that was that was hard for me, man. You know, what I mean, that was I I really loved that when people would come to see Guardian that they would identify with the four of us. You know what I mean. And, like, I mean, you, you, we'd have people. I mean, another band I forget we were touring with one time just came up and the drummer I remember telling me, he's like, dude, he goes, your fans, they know all you guys' names. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like they had bought into, like, us as people and not just the band. And when when Dave got off the road, and I know he needed to, you know what I mean? Because he he ended up, you know, getting an executive job in A&R at Forefront Records, and it was a really right. good opportunity for him. And he needed to do that. But it's still, it still, it, it, it stung, man. It really did. It, it wasn't very long after that it was when I mentioned
0: that you played in uh, in Indianapolis at Treasurebacks, mm-hmm. and, and once again it was pretty much the same set. But it's like there's still no Dave. Yeah, but but it, but it, but it's okay because I, I've got a I've got a silly memory from that concert that you probably have no recollection of whatsoever. Did you steal my diet coke? I did not. Okay, we're good. Okay, but I thought, of, but I I did think about it. <laughs> okay, that's. <gotcha. laughs> Tony was about to do everybody was off stage except for Tony. Uh-huh. He was about to do his little 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 mini sermon. Yeah. And I don't exactly remember what he said, but it was about you. And out of out of nowhere behind with the microphone, couldn't see you, we hear, Don't kill Earl. Oh. <laughs> I do remember that. I don't remember exactly what it was about. <laughs> But I will never forget that. Ron and I were just talking about that the other day. We still chuckle about that.
1: Now, dude, you know, if, if you don't know, my my legal name is Earl Wilson Rowe Jr. So, right. you know, I've always been junior. I was junior Rowe growing up. And then when I got to be older, I didn't like to be called junior. And so I used the initials JR. True. And literally when I joined Guardian, I decided, okay, I have a way to to change this. All, so I decided that the J was going to stand for Jamie. So I made up my own name and... You know, I've been Jamie Rose since 1990. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, yeah legal, but... but funny, my legal name Earl has actually become my nickname. Okay. Even though it's even though it's my legal name, like the guys in Guardian all still call me Earl. Like, what's up, Earl? You know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <Dope>. Yeah, <laughs> that's that, that, that's just one of those silly
0: memories that I will never forget. I like that. And and if I remember right, weren't you at the first Striper Expo in New yes, Jersey? Like yes. Yeah with london calling
1: yes that was the first time and we weren't we weren't london calling then it was those those guys were in that band the frantics at the, the time. frantics that's and right I used, I used them as my backup band for that show and we we weren't london calling for another like two years i don't believe but um but it's funny i remember that and it was just so good to see those you know as a huge striper fan it was so good to see that those guys come back together for that first off and uh at that time i don't know if you're aware but i i i did a studio project uh, which is basically more of like a, an 80s hard rock thing called adrian gale for i did gosh i did like five or six records with him but anyway yeah. the guy who heads that up uh, john kibble kibble records that's actually where i met him okay so he introduced himself in the hall and i thought it was funny because he looked a lot like michael sweet i said anybody tell you, you like michael, michael sweet because i do all the time he goes hey man i've got this label we've got steve whiteman from kicks on it he goes you should check it out sometime and everything like that and so we exchanged contact info and then like a month later, he goes, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse and stuff like that. And I was like, OK, what's up? And he, he basically said, look, I'll fly you to New York here. We'll pay you X amount of dollars and stuff like that. All you got to do is just, you know, we want to hire you as a singer for this record. And I did it. So and it wouldn't happen if I went in with that Striper Expo. And we, and we like I said, we made like four or five records over the course of like you know 15 years. And uh, it went from I was a studio guy. just did it for the paycheck basically to to make it through to where i really ended up loving all those guys and you know i i didn't make a dime off the last two records you know i just did it more for fun you know
0: and i I know you saw me ask online people who had questions
1: no what's up you just
0: answered one of the questions okay how did did adrian gale come about yeah so Um,
1: yeah that's how it is and like i said vic rivera is the i mean when i think of adrian gale like 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 calamity kills is my band it's my thing you know i mean Right. Me Adrian Gale will always be Vic Rivera and I just happen to be the singer. But we worked really well together and I, I think the world of him and his talent and stuff. I think I think if anybody if a band like a White Snake or or somebody like even a Motley Crue somebody who really really wanted to go back in the studio and record music that's on par with their heyday, they should right. bring Vic in to co-write, man. <laughs> I really feel that way. He's got a gift. Well, the, the the the
0: next question is still with Adrian Gale. Huh? is why the chains from crush back to Adrian Grail
1: oh that was <clears throat> well there was some, there was some issues that you know I, I that had nothing to do with me to be honest but there was <clears throat> some issues between Vic and kibble records that they needed to work out and uh, there was this, a period there for a while that uh, you know the, technically the name belonged to kibble records okay And uh, you know Vic Vic didn't want to work with kibble for a, a season there and so the you know the crunch album was our most Popular release up that day, and then we had an opportunity to play at Firefest in uh, in England in like 2007 or 2008, and so we couldn't call it Adrian Gale, so we decided at the last minute, let's call it Crunch. Okay. And then those two guys worked out their issues a few years later, and we came back with an Adrian Gale record. <laughs> so, but is there a possibility of ever working with Vic
0: again and having
1: uh, another? Probably, probably not to be honest, and stuff like that. I just. Certain to be be honest, the only thing I really want to do for the rest of my remaining time is is make calamity kills records, and then if I do something beyond that, it would just be my own solo stuff. That's it. I'm kind of I'm kind of I'm kind of at that point where no no more band stuff for me, man. No more
0: more, bets. And that was the last question that somebody asked me. Yeah. Would Would you rather be in a band or be solo?
1: Well, I'd rather if if I could have four guys that all were going in the same direction. And like, I was in my early twenties right? Be up for that, but you know, I'm 53 and at this point and stuff like that, you know, it's like, I kind of, I have a really good, I really like my life. How it is. and stuff. I love working for True Tone. It's a guitar pedal effects company I've worked since sure. 2012. I absolutely love it and everything like that. And so if I was in a band with three other guys and you know, in the, the bass player decides, man, I really want to tour, you know, I want to do this like, you know, five weeks where we go to Texas and Vegas and everything like that. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't really want to. You know what I mean? So right. I'm not, I'm not holding somebody else back. And I'm, so I'm getting to do this at my own pace, but um, a band dynamic for me, it just, at this point, it's not going to work. My Now with that said, Jamie Parino, who produced and played on the last guardian record and stuff like that, he is my partner with Adrian or with uh, Calamity kills. So okay. there is a kind of a band feel with there, but it's more of a partnership between he and I where I'm kind of leading the charge and he's kind of a part of it. So and how much did Tony have to do with calamity kills and other than I sent him a file and he played a guitar solo that was it so, so he said he, he played the guitar solo on uh, the song dearest enemy and I think he absolutely killed it and it's it's kind yeah. of a shame that uh, he's not you know playing guitar more and stuff like that because he's still just is as, as sharp as ever and just amazing but but no he he, he didn't have any creative input with this so we, like I said we we talk maybe you know three or four times a year and stuff like that. And I, I saw him a couple of months ago. Went to an acoustic set in Mexico City, opening for Petra. He was actually there. Petra had hired him at the last minute to run sound. So I actually saw Tony, and you know, played acoustic songs that he helped co-wrote and stuff in front of him. You know, what I mean? so that's crazy. That had to be was, a weird feeling. It was weird. And so it was kind of just kind of a bummer too. You know, I said, dude, you know they're going to want you to play a song or two with me. And he's like, no nah, not going to happen. He goes, I don't play guitar anymore. You know what I mean? So it's kind of a bummer, you know, but that's just, that's the dysfunction of being in a band. So, but we had the best hang. So we didn't make any music together, but we had the best hang. <laughs> and that's important and, at this point
0: in life. And you were with Petra and who could ask for more at that yeah, point.
1: Dude, it's so funny, man. I just love, I mean, you know, and Amber, you know, Amber and I've only been married since 2016. So Amber not right. didn't get to see a whole lot of the stuff that happened with Guardian and, in Latin America and be able to take her down there and just and seeing firsthand what like what the band meant to a lot of people, right? It was really cool. And so, I mean, she loved those Petra guys too. I mean, she, she hung out and talked with John and John Lowry like quite a bit the whole weekend. It was right, just, it was just a really good experience. But I, I just, I've got so much respect for those guys. And just, and, it, and you know, what? and they did, and this is the truth, they actually sound really good. I think they sound better now than they almost did back in the day, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, and when you and think of uh, how much sound his uh, technology has changed to help,
0: mm-hmm. to help that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But still, man, you can't fake, you can't, you can't, there's no AI that's going to do what John Schlitt does. No, John's an original and there's yeah. no, yeah, there's no fake in John. But anyway, it's cool. Cause like I said, my, I kind of, in my life since about 2000, year 2000, I've been really passionate about being a Christian, but, but actually like functioning in the mainstream music world. And I, it's funny, and so it's, to me, it's like that's just that's where my passion is. That's where I'm leading, everything I like get. And I remember talking to Schlitt, you know, because in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, man, he was in Head East. It's like, you know, does he ever regret that he didn't, you know, use that angle more and have more of a voice in, quote, unquote, the world? And just without even batting an eye, he said, no, man. He goes, I'm glad I went through that early on because it about wrecked my life and I wanted nothing to do with it. And I understand and it was cool because I realized, okay, not everybody has the same vision for their music and stuff as I do. And just the sincerity of you know that that Schlitt could have had, you know, a heady crowd or something that had to speaking a thing, but it would have been his own self destruction. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. So yeah. what's good for me may not be good for you. Wouldn't it a different strokes theme song? I, I I do think so. But the good news is you're still alive. Yeah. For now, day's not over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can tell you what Rob, and this would have sucked. Is last week if you would have had me do this podcast, I couldn't have done it. I got the worst sinus bug that I've had. I've had it twice this summer. Oh, it totally wrecks my voice and everything. And finally, it finally cleared up on Friday of last week. But I had to move some other things I was doing just because I couldn't talk. But the thing is, it goes from like 30 degrees to also like today was like 80 something. And so when it goes back to 30 degrees, it's going to mess up my sinuses. That's just how that's the world I live in. <laughs> I, 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 I
0: I actually took my my motorcycle
1: to work today. Uh huh.
0: I, I couldn't ride it all last week because it was like. You know, in the twenties. Uh-huh. I got, I rode home today about a 13 mile drive uh-huh. without a jacket on. And you've got it, a sunburn it, or something, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I I put my coat on when I first got on the bike and went, no, that thing's going in the trunk. Wow. It's too hot. And it's yeah. and it's November. Isn't that crazy, so,
1: man? So I, I fully get the sinus thing. That's just weird stuff. But yeah, it's it's so, evil. <laughs> it sinus problems are evil.
0: They they are evil. And when you're a singer. Yeah. And yeah, and it's, that's a whole other whole nother world. True story. So, so what, what happened with uh, with London calling? Was that just yeah. a passing
1: phase? Oh. oh my gosh, dude! I was actually talked about that the other day and stuff. Man, I I really really loved 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 that band. Like, we, you know, I'm a huge Cheap Shirk fan growing up, and yeah. that, and that <clears throat> those guys and the music we made and everything like that. I just think, you know, to be honest, I really think that was probably a case. Uh, if we would have started that two years earlier, the timing would have, would have worked out really well. But at right. the time, I mean, you know, I was 33 in 2003, whenever we made, made that first record. And at the time, things were so youth-oriented in, music, in the music industry. I don't know if you remember, like, there was, you know, the Britney Spears thing was happening. yeah. Boy bands were happening. So the, the press to be, like, the teenage artist. And young artists was really key. Like, like, you couldn't get a record deal of any kind if you were over 25 during that time. You right. could not. And so, and like and Gene Simmons from Kiss wanted to sign London Calling and did not because I was 33, 33 at the time. And I have a yeah. loose memo where he clearly states that. That's just the time. Now, now these days, things have changed. You can be 85 years old. And if they think they can make money off of you, they'll sign you. But yeah. the thing is, London Calling was great, and for me, creatively, I get to I get to to be like the, the lead music writer, and everything like that. And it was it was fun and rewarding. Derek, the drummer, is still just one of the best drummers I've ever played with in my whole life, and uh, I just I love those guys. I, I, even last summer I vacationed down in Florida. I stayed with Matthew, or who was the bass player in that band. Mm-hmm. I really, even though nothing really in the long term significantly happened career wise for that band. We had so many cool experiences and cool, cool opportunities. Like a band like Guardian never did everything, but it just, you know, it just wasn't meant to be the timing wasn't right. And that's just, that's how it is. And, uh, you know, but gosh, dude, I, I still, I love all the music we created. I really do. Because of, because of you and your love for cheap trick.
0: I, I'm My wife is a huge cheap trick now. Uh-huh. Uh, but because of your love for Cheap Trick and Loving Just Got Back, that became my favorite song at that oh,
1: time. <laughs> dude. I love, I love that song. I love it so much. I, actually, I think we did a really good recording of it, too. So. You did? I did. It was good. Now, wasn't that about the same time that your EP Beautiful was out? Yeah, that came in around that time. And like I said, I was still dabbling and stuff. Actually, that was during the time I recorded the uh, what ended up being my first solo record called Songs for Heaven and Earth, which was originally just going to be in Spanish. And then at the last minute, I said... You know, hey, I can also record these songs in English. You know, because like I said, Guardian made a significant impact in Latin America, and that was, you know, we had a, a large fan base there. Still to this day, still do. But uh, I made the beautiful EP with some song demos that I was just writing. Basically, I was almost just trying, like, okay, what's next after Guardian? You know what I mean? Right. and uh, And you know, during that time, I said just recording private demos. I would also kind of release it to people so they could hear it. But uh, nice. I did the beautiful EP, and, and I, like I said, I did my first record, the songs for Heaven on Earth. And to be fair, I probably didn't put as much into that record as I should have because I was so focused on London Calling. You know what I mean? Okay. So, but I still there are certain songs like uh, "Shelter Me" and "Deliver Me" on those records I real still really really like. But that was just a, a transitional phase for me. You know. Well, that, that that's going to leave... Oops,
0: I almost crashed my laptop. oh don't do that. that no, that'd be bad. Yeah. Uh, especially seeing how it's my wife's, because uh, she's out there. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Santa <laughs> um, I will
1: be deceased by morning.
0: Oh, yeah. It's, it's Santa can't die. That's bad. Yeah, true story. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- what, what you just said led me to one of the questions that uh, was asked online is... You, mu- you mentioned London Calling and, and certain songs. Do you have any unreleased
1: Guardian or London Callings out there? No no unreleased Guardian, but uh, it's funny. Derek, the drummer of London Calling, actually sent me a track that we did when we tried to get back together little, around 2007, I think. And he sent the track. And just It's, it's funny. It's, I can't download it. I have to get, get a copy of it. We recorded it up with Tim Bashong, and uh, – I can I, I think Tony Plasius may have actually mixed it, but gosh, it's really good. It was called "Set Me Free." Okay, that might need to see the light again it, because it, it's like it's like really good, like surprising. Like, well, I don't I don't recall it being that good. You know what I mean? Then there was a song called "So Alive," which I I do have a copy of and stuff like that. So yeah, there are there are a few London Calling songs that have not been publicly released. But Guardian, you've got everything from Guardian. That's that, that's that, yeah. that's all there is. There is no more. No, that that's that's it. So. So it's,
0: it's safe to say the guardian chapter is over. Stop asking.
1: It it is, it is for, it is for me, you know what I mean? And to say, you know, I, I still, to be honest, I haven't really talked to Dave lately, but I still, you know, Dave moved to Southern California. I still wouldn't doubt if any day I pop up on the internet, I see that, you know, Dave's making a record or something, with the with the first two guys with Paul Colley and Rick Hart. Um, Tony, Tony wouldn't want to be involved in that at all, but I, I still, I still, I'm always surprised I haven't seen it yet, but for me, Yes, my time in Guardian is over,
0: and that is—is is, do you still have contact with Carl?
1: Yeah, yeah. So like we but Carl moved to Lake Tahoe, so it's like I said, like we know you know we don't really touch base. Uh, Tony's the one I keep in touch with the most, okay, and everything like that. But like at the same time, I've, if those guys walked in the room and stuff, it'd be like nothing happened. You know what I mean? It's just with we're that, right. that kind of relationship, we spent you know, in, in the '90s, I spent more time in a hotel room with Carl Nay than I did my wife. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> we, we we spent that much time on the road. You know what I mean? yeah and he's he's my bro and and as far as i know carl's doing great man he's just found his groove out lake tahoe and doing wonderful
0: that that, that's so cool that that's you know and and it's cool that you can actually close the chapter and move on because i I, i'm gonna be i have to admit that i have not listened to the whole calamity kills because my ride's not that long to work okay gotcha but i skip around a lot when i listen to stuff and i gotta tell you that I still believe is phenomenal.
1: Oh, thank you, man. It did, it's, it's, I don't know when you're going to air this, but as of right now, it's like it's it's doing really well, getting into rock radio and mainstream rock radio around the whole U.S. So I'm excited about that, and I love that it's a message of hope during the season. So it's it's so funny because when I you know we were working with the radio team to to do some promotion they took the record and that's the guy, the main guy immediately zoned in on it. He goes, I love that song. He goes, this is a fresh version of it. So he presented it to a couple of program directors. So it's, it's cool to see that's getting life. And the fact is I didn't write it. It's, it's from Michael Bean from the call. And it's just mm-hmm. a great message of hope. And, you know, it's, if you know it from them, it's been in a Lost Boys film, you know, even Christian music, Russ Taft did a stellar version of it back in like 1990 or 89. And right here we are in 2023, and I get to make my own version, and, and uh, I'm pretty stoked with it.
0: I, I got to hear Russ do it live uh, last year. Uh huh. And then uh, I don't know if you know this, but that Schlitt recorded it with Billy Smiley and Union of Sinners and Saints.
1: You know what? I did hear that. I, I haven't heard it though. Is it like, but that was a couple years ago, right? <laughs> that was a couple years ago. Oh, okay, I need to hear that. And
0: it's it, it's one of those songs that's what, everybody's so used to Russ Tapp's version, it's hard to imagine anybody else doing it. Oh, gotcha. But when you when I heard John's, I'm going,
1: oh wow. Then I heard yours and went, oh new breath again. Well, yeah, I I really tried to to reimagine it and stuff like that. That's why I created that that little screamo hook where it says, "I will wait." You know, I will wait for you. You know, that stuff's not in there. And I just decided, you know, I wanted to keep it, the arrangement traditional, but I wanted like a metalcore uh, yeah. element to it. And I think I think we come up with something really cool, man. I think you nailed it. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> I hope okay. it connects with people and, and makes their day better. I really
0: do. Well, let's see. Let's go back to what else some people might have asked. Ivan wants to know if you have any favorite Guardian stories from the road
1: or the studio. Man, we've, we've got a lot. Of, there's a lot of stories, man. It's like kind of like, um, I'm just trying to think. You know, from the dumb stuff that was embarrassing, you know, it's like I remember like, you know, playing and we did a... a a string of club dates for Fire and Love for Sony, and uh, and we were playing this place called Cactus Jack somewhere in like Idaho or something. And on the marquee, on the tables and stuff, these players said it said uh, a such and such. I forget what it said. Then it said Guardian. Oh, it said Hog Roast and had a date. Then it said Guardian. And then it said male dancers coming soon. We're <laughs> like, okay, we we've made it, man. Wow. But no, man. Just we had a lot of cool stuff. He, he, for me, here's here's a story that people haven't really heard. They don't know. But um, you know, when I joined Guardian, Tony was making a solo record too. That would end up being years later, but his record, Epic Tales of Woe, which is an instrumental guitar. Yeah, he was making a solo record with Grover Jackson, the guy who owned Jackson guitars. Right. He decided he wanted to produce and stuff, and so he got up there and uh, like I think Chris Frazier played drums. Who you know, it was. It was you know, I think I think he played Whitesnake for a while and Foreigner or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's, he's a real real gun and stuff. And Jimmy Waldo, who's the keyboard for, player for Quiet Riot for a while and the band Alcatraz. All these like really cool people. And one day after we'd started recording the record and had the rough mixes, Tony had taken it up to play for Grover in a studio. And while he's at the studio, this guy pops his head in and says, what are you guys listening to? And he goes oh he goes i love this guy's voice and the guy proceeded to sit there and listen not just to the whole thing but listen to the whole record from top to bottom was just loving it and it was peter frampton huh and so for me as tony comes you know this rehearsal and tells us the story He goes dude peter frampton came in he goes jamie he loves your voice he goes but he came in and listened to the whole he goes usually people stop in to listen to a song he stayed and listened to the whole record Wow, And I was like wow and everything and so it's, I always thought that was kind of a cool story And you know, I, I don't really think I've shared that with too many people But nice. I mean there's there's also other stuff man. It's like I you know You know I you can see there's a lot of stuff on YouTube and there's a lot of footage of us at the Flavo festival in 93 or 94 And it was one of those big outdoor like arena festivals and stuff and, and it was during the time period of miracle mile I remember being on that stage and I can see it now when I see the YouTube clips. I remember looking mm-hmm. out at people, and it was a huge crowd. Things were just going so well. And I remember sitting and thinking, "I'm a poor kid from Oakland City, Indiana. And I wrote some of these songs in my bedroom, and this is what happened." And I really had like one of those "Thank you, God, for giving me this like, you know, beyond amazing experience." Because you know, I, I'm not smart enough to get here. You know what I mean? Right. Things like that happen all the time. You know, and you know just. Little things like you know, opening for Striper, which you know, as, as a as a fan growing up was huge for me, and just and some you know, becoming friends with those guys too, you right. know, and so there was a lot of cool stuff. Singing on the Petra record, I sang backgrounds on Unseen Power when I was you know twenty one years old. Right. That was pretty cool. You know, what I mean, a lot of a lot of cool things like that. That's yeah. See, we could talk about this stuff forever. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's just that's just good stuff. Here's, I here's I what I can tell. Here's what I can tell you, and this and this may sound weird and stuff like that because, like I said. I, my, my views on a lot of stuff, like, you know, like in the, in the nineties, we didn't have the internet, you know what I mean? So if I had a theological question in the middle of the night, I can just pull up my laptop and just and decide to go down that road. You know what I mean? So yeah. things have just changed a lot and stuff like that. But I'm going to tell you, when you saw Guardian in the nineties, yeah, what you saw was what you get. We weren't putting on any kind of a front. We weren't trying to convince people we were, we were holier than we were. so like We're just being real and honest. We we're crazy about people, we we're crazy about music and we want them to know Jesus. That's so what you see then is what you get. Now, right. if if Guardian uh, I didn't start Guardian, but if Guardian were to start in 2023, I would I would keep it as far away from Christian music as I could. Yeah. Just just because the culture has changed enough and everything like that and I just feel like, you know, like if we really want to have an impact on people, just be a really great band and just right. and just be who we are. You know what I mean? We don't have to say, okay, we're a Christian band or we're, our music sold in Christian stores. We should just be a really good band and meet the needs of the people, man. So that's my opinion. Uh, well, <laughs> well,
0: you need to go back and listen to my interview with uh, Elefante because um, he, he's got an interesting take on today's Christian music, too. Uh-huh. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I yeah. That, man. yeah. Yeah. That, that's something we'll discuss off. Camera off, off mic.
1: You no, know, I, have <laughs> I haven't. I, I ran into Dino last year, so okay. But I haven't, I haven't seen John in a while. I, I, I guess maybe like six, seven years ago, I made a website for him. But yeah. I, I literally, I have not seen John since probably 20, 2016, 2015 myself. But I saw Dino a couple of years ago and stuff. And it's like I said, I, I love those guys. I really do. John's always on the road. He's always singing with other legends. Yeah. The voices of
0: Rock Radio. So. Yeah. Now another friend of ours. Asked me to ask you a question. Okay. That would be from Mr. Paul Kupek.
1: Okay. I know Paul. Paul said, Ask Jamie how Tempest got on the first label. Oh, okay. Here's a really great story. Um, well, here's the thing. You know, my my older brother, who was kind of a, a swindler, I'd say, it. that's the best way to put it, just really good at working the phone and stuff like that, he had talked to somebody at Pure Metal and everything like that. And uh, had sent a demo of Tempest and uh, I was just a bass player at that point. I wouldn't even sing in the demo or anything like that. But to get to the point we were called Tempest and unbeknownst to us in Ohio, there was a thrash metal band called Tempest mm. and ha- had actually had a little something going on. And it's like I said, we didn't know this because we, we didn't know about Heaven's Metal Magazine, all this stuff and everything. But evidently Gavin Morkel at the company Thought we were that tempest. Mm-hmm. And and so, but but here's the thing, it gets a little funny. So when we get there, and and the singer for the other tempest was an African American guy. And when we got there to sign the contract, I remember I didn't hear this, my brother heard this. The president of the Label came out looking around and said, Where's the black guy? <laughs> <laughs> Anything okay. So, anyway, so they said, but here's the thing, here's the thing, they had did send us like enough money to record a track so we recorded the song Metal Mission and Mm. sent it to them so they thought this new they were signing that sound they thought the Tempest thrash band had went to a more commercial sound and this was the new sound so even though they thought we were that band they were signing the new sound if that makes sense but still I feel pretty comfortable to say that Tempest got signed by accident and that's (laughs) and here I am today talking to you. you know I mean, once again, the rest is history, yeah, it really is stuff like that. But, um, but I mean, that's that just shows you stuff like that. It's like, okay, we well, we spent money on these guys, they're here. They did like, like I said, they did like the new direction, so that's the thing. If not, and you know, can you imagine like bringing up a bunch of guys from Indiana and putting them in the studio, and then a few days into it realize, oh, this is, you aren't who I thought you were, <laughs> yeah, only, that's, only, that's only you. <laughs> all right, now.
0: Or we're, we're into today, uh-huh. and this is the you posted something on Instagram that made me laugh out loud and do a spit take. Okay, and it was on your Instagram story, which was it? <laughs> <laughs> OnlyFans. I laughed until I cried.
1: Oh, like the thing, like uh, when I decided to start an OnlyFans and get people. Yes, yes, and they go to my my music. Yes.
0: Yeah, I, I thought I was going to die at that moment, dude. For a second,
1: there, did you really think I did do, do only fans? I
0: said, Is Jamie finally lost his mind?
1: <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> actually, you know what? We can we, That was that was a total joke to get people's attention. And it worked, but it, it worked, it, it was hilarious. Here's, here's something funny, man. You know, like over the last few years, and I, and I haven't done so much this last year, but I got really into photography and locally here in Nashville and stuff like that. And I got to where I was like shooting a lot of people. And then finally, the, like all the local models and stuff started. Like I got asked to do this model shoot group and stuff. So all of a sudden I'm exposed to all these models who are like you know almost like boudoir lingerie models and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And and I did it because I could appreciate the art. And to, to be honest, like I, I don't do it anymore. And I brought my wife in to do it because to be to be fair, man, it got to the point where it's like I don't really feel comfortable just shooting half naked girls. You know, what I mean? I really don't. And so right. I, I can appreciate the art, but sometimes it, it's not art. Sometimes it is, you know, like. To get instagram thirst traps or whatever but sure. anyway during that whole time um i got to be friends with a lot of these models and stuff like that, and, and we would talk about stuff and i you know they would know my history as a christian and a christian recording artist and some of them that did have only fans accounts mm-hmm. they almost all would tell me about how many married quote-unquote married christian men they have as subscribers wow until the point where it was like it was like it was a common theme and stuff and so i wrote the song hellfire honey about that from calamity kills it's about that whole scene
0: and that was the last one i listened to before i called you yeah
1: and that's that whole thing you know it's it's ronnie's got a credit card for living a lie another sugar daddy preaching with a plank in his eye and everything like that. it's just these you know these you know it's like these guys think they're getting away from these girls man they're they're calling out like you know like and 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 why would some of these people want to you know you tell them christ is the answer why would they think that whenever this clown, who's supposed to represent Christ, is like giggling behind his wife's back. Oh, don't tell my wife, uh, you know. So, but those are the first people that will 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 judge those girls and say, "You need Jesus. You need this. You you you." And, stuff, and never taking the responsibility that right. they're the ones that are you know, that make sure these women have jobs. So anyway, right. I went off on a tangent there, but that's it's just something that's like, you know, it really it really spoke to me, and I'm I'm really proud of that song for that for that very reason. Yeah. I was able to express that. And it seems well, like to me, it's like a lot of people have been convicted by it. So maybe, maybe they, it's done a public service too. So, see? yeah. <laughs> and,
0: and and your only fans uh, post on on Instagram. Hey, you made me laugh.
1: Yes, good. <laughs> I, I, I did, I did tell Amber, my wife, a couple years ago, and so like when that whole thing started to buzz up around, I said I said I want to actually start one. And all I wanted to do is be pictures of like ceiling fans and box fans and everything. like that only <laughs> fans. <laughs> You're talking to the guy who goes to the
0: Meyer store and friends, stands in front of box fans and kneels up and says, Me and my fans. Oh, I yeah. you. Gotcha. Yes. I would yeah,
1: do I would do that too.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's where I discovered you have the same warp sense of humor that I have, and that's why we get along.
1: No, I do it's funny though. I I talked to my wife even though last week and stuff like I just realized, man, I kinda I kinda miss taking photos and she just said, Honey, no more models. I like, yeah, that that's cool. Like, I agree. If, if they do come, it's it's cool because she can give them that experience. But I just, I, you know, just like, you know, I can appreciate the art, but sometimes it's not. And it's just not. I don't want to add to the noise if it makes sense. Right. So, right. It's just a personal connection. But I do love the girls, man. I really do. I mean, yeah. I met some really outstanding people. Well, and if
0: you get to witness a little bit, that's a beautiful thing. Well,
1: just be be just live a witness, not even have to do it, just live it. You know, they, yeah. and set the example. I think it's been awesome. Yeah. Well,
0: we got about eight minutes left before I got to let you go. But uh, <laughs> there's, there's, there's one question that everybody gets asked on the Santa Rob podcast. Okay. And we're going to send this one musically to you. If you could play with anyone dead or alive, who do you, who would you wish for? Like, like, like to replace the singer or something,
1: or what? No, just, just anybody. If you wanted to sing with Elvis, you want to sing with the Beatles. I, I would love to to sing with Cheap Trick, but it would have to also be with Robin Zander because he's such an influence to me. But that that would be a dream gig for me, man. You know, if, if anybody I would ever like consider like joining Cheap Trick would be a band, you know. But I would I would love to do that. I would love to record record something or just play with those guys. But that that, that doesn't even take any effort for me to think about well I, I knew it would either be cheap trick or kiss well you see the thing is, i do kiss made me love music but it was more like you know they were comic book heroes like right it's like and stuff and like, like even this i just went to that show here at bridgestone here a couple weeks ago and i loved it but dude it's like you know it's funny it's, it's gonna sound weird but kiss is nostalgia for me it's like i don't it's not the music man but cheap trick right the music for me. It the music it music yeah okay then so in the cheap tricks vein yet
0: how do you feel about Bun being gone and Dax being the drummer?
1: You know, what? I I kind of get it and I kind of don't and stuff like that. To me, I would love to see Bunny Carlos as the drummer because he's just you know to me he's just such a phenomenal thing. I understand they got their son, but you know, I don't like I don't like that their relationships have been strained. You know what I mean? That's been a struggle. Yeah, that that's hard to see. But you know, it's, you know, I understand that you know there's a lot of things that go on with a band that the public doesn't see, but um, Dude, he's, he's, you know, when I think of Cheat Trick, I think of Bunny, Tom, and Rick, and Robin. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. That actually Dax,
1: Dax is a great player, but it's still, it's, it's still like Cody and Vance as opposed to Bo and Luke.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the only thing I'll say about Dax is he kind of brought out some another feel. They're doing different songs that they hadn't done
1: before. Mm-hmm. Dude, have you ever noticed? If you were looking at the thing with the way he he always lays back on the chorus on Dream Police, where goes, on the record, it's like, every single there when i do it live he lays back like every single night we-. it's always this like this cool slow thing But he yeah. had that i always thought that was pretty cool
0: yeah so well that's cool um where can people go find what you're doing now online I
1: think the best place to, to do is um people are most active on facebook on the calamity kills facebook thing if you want me personally you know you, you know any of my socials it's fine I, I've got different, but I'm trying to focus more on calamity kills, so I'm trying to drive people to those socials. But mm-hmm. I'm active wherever. It's, it's not hard to find me. I'll tell you that right now. So, but uh, Instagram, I'm Jamie Rowe on Instagram. I've got my creative page, which is real creative. I've got the kills thing on Instagram, but um, Facebook, you know, Jamie Rowe, calamity kills. It's all there. So, and,
0: and if you, if you guys haven't listened to calamity kills yet, yeah, go do it. Yeah. And if and if you don't do anything else, listen. To I still believe because it's going to knock you over.
1: Appreciate that.
0: It, it's just, yeah, it, it makes me wish that there were real Christian rock radio stations around again. I miss those days.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of glad it's not because they would claim ownership to it and it wouldn't get hurt. Yeah, by- you've got a
0: valid point. So yeah. I, we're going to strike everything I just said because it, it's hard to talk out of both sides out of your mouth on this stuff. I just wish there was another way to pe- for people to hear things. It's harder now. No, sometimes, I, I
1: think. It, it is. And what's funny? Isn't that funny? But there's. But at the same time, it should be easier because there's. Just, you know, we have the internet. We can track things down. But there's not. There's not that centralized place to find it. You know, what I mean, it's like I. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of music and stuff. I would I I never heard fit for a king until like two months ago. You know what I mean? And they've been around for like ten something years. You know what
0: I mean? I I I got in the middle of a thread on Facebook recently where where a comment was made uh, about uh, Striper's last tour. Uh Uh-huh. And and they're all going, are they still around? Oh, my.
1: (laughs) Michael doesn't stop. No, they don't stop. It's it's funny, you know, and, like, I I opened for them here in town, you know, this summer, and, you know, there's still mid-sized level clubs. They're still selling them out. And, you know, my buddy Ace plays in L.A. Guns and stuff, and I went to see them in the same club the week before, and they didn't sell it out. You know what I mean? So it's like they still – Striper still has something very valid, you know, going on, and I think it's really, really cool.
0: They got it happen and I, and I keep wait waiting for uh somebody a bigger promoter than me to get Striper and you up here in Indy. Well, I'll do it because <laughs> I, I got my dream show with with uh with Rex and White Cross uh-huh. with 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 in Striper and Petra a few years back, but Guardian was missing. Yeah. Well, not Guardian, but you. I mean, you know, Guardian won't happen, but there, there was just but you know, we got the big we got the big one, so we're good.
1: No, that's great. I I like that. So But Hold on Jamie, you know, I'm
0: you a, put that show on uh I got good friends who put that on. Okay, I,
1: say, I had a friend and stuff that actually I got him uh where he could meet uh the striper guys at that date because I remember because I, I Cause they really, he drew up from Evansville, Indiana. and He really wanted to meet himself. So I remember texting Michael and said hey, can you meet? And they met him outside the venue. Yeah. I remember that show. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was Rocktoberfest. That was put on my, by my buddy, uh, Travis Frank. Gotcha. And his, and his dad, uh, dad Kelly. We, and yeah, we had a ball. Right on. And, and hanging, hanging downstairs with, with Petra and, and Rex and Michael and the boys. That was, but like I said, you were missing. So
1: yeah. we got to do it again. I'll, I'm up for it, so
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll work on a venue. I, I'm working on something else right now. I'm trying to bring Steve Camp up to Indianapolis next. Oh, wow,
1: dude, yeah. Dude, see, I used to go to a Sunday school classes Steve Camp taught, like in 1990, 91. Yeah.
0: So we're we're Steve's about to release a new one, but that's enough about that. Jamie, you're awesome. Thank you for taking some time out to talk to me tonight. I
1: think, you know, I, I know I talk a lot, so hopefully you don't have to. You said you didn't edit, but if you have to, go ahead. I'm sorry, but. Uh-
0: I'm not editing a thing because that's what that's what's so fun about you. You're bubbly, you're energetic, and you said a lot of stuff that people haven't heard in a long time. And I know that you're missed out there.
1: Oh, gotcha. Well, I appreciate that, man. It's like to me, it's like this is just a conversation. I mean, I know we don't, you know, go to Cracker Barrel together every week, so I have like, yeah, you know, I feel like I know you. It's it's, it's online. All, all these on, online relationships are, are valid and stuff, but, you know. So like, you know, I just feel like I'm talking to my friends, so we're good. And hey. people are gonna be listening into our conversation. That's awesome. It, it, it's a good time. And Hey, who doesn't love Santa? I love Santa, but I, to be fair, I do love my hot wife who's walked by me like three times here in the last five minutes. And I'm about it, to it, 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 say, say hi to Amber for me. Wait. <laughs> she went, he wanted me to tell you hello. Well,
0: I'll get out of here. Jamie, you're awesome, and I hope we get to do this again next year.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Just let me know, man. It's not. It's not a. Not a problem at all.
0: Awesome. Well, God bless you, and thanks again. Thank you, my brother. Holla, holla. Bye, bye. I want to thank Jamie Rowe a hundred times over for an awesome interview. What a pleasure to talk to this guy i've been listening to him for a lot of years and and to call him my friend is just it's just something special so thank you jamie and uh we'll do this again if you guys enjoyed this podcast head over to my facebook page slaying it with santa rob and let me know hit the like button leave me a message leave me a comment um and if you wanna send me an email with a suggestion of a, of a guest or a topic, you can send that to SantaRobPodcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. You know, we've got some more, we've got a couple more huge uh, podcasts coming up for the month of December. And then we're gonna take a little Christmas break and uh, come back in uh, 2024. But uh, I also need to thank Brett Christmer of Brett Krissmer's Mustache Wax at bscenterprises.com. Brett Christmaser's Mustache Wax is the home of Santa Rob Mustache. Yes, it is hot chocolate flavored. It is wonderful to use. It smells like hot chocolate, it's so good. And if you go over to his website, bscenterprises.com, use discount code Santa Rob and save 15% on your order. He's got a ton of different scents of mustache waxes. So ladies, head over there and pick up your man some for Christmas. They're great stocking stuffers. And speaking of other things and Christmas and stocking stuffers and things, my other awesome uh, sponsor, hotspotcollectiblesandtoys.com. If you love video games or wrestling figures or if it's collectible, my buddy Brad and his team have it. And if they don't have it now, they're going to eventually have it. Um, once again, use discount code Santa Rob and save 15% on your order. Um, head over to Spotify, hit that subscribe button if you're enjoying what you're hearing. I've got a lot of great interviews on there. You know, the, the one you just listened to with Jamie was number 30. There are 30 amazing interviews with people of Jamie's caliber on there. So go check it out. Thanks again, and I will be back next week with another episode of Slaying It with Santa Rob.